You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you're waiting for our tagline, 40 years or of. It's coming. First, you've heard of me on this platform touting NRS, a great company whose many dedicated employees I get to see in action. NRS Pay has recently launched its new cost-cutting program called Cash Discount. The way it works is any vendor using NRS Pay Cash Discount has their sale register tabulating automatically a dual pricing, which offers customers a choice of a cash payment, which could result in up to a 4% discount over swiping their card. If your business meets the $18,000 a month threshold, there's absolutely no monthly fee to incur. NRS Pay Cash Discount makes it less expensive to accept credit cards, so you'll save money while helping your customers save at the same time. NRS is offering a time-limited deal right now on this state-of-the-art system. You'll get a free card reader with zero hidden fees, no long-term contract, and no early termination fee, which means you can switch your processing plan without penalty. NRS Pay is a proud part of the IDT Corporation that I've been associated with for over 10 years and has integrity built into its corporate DNA. I know its founder and officers and salespeople, and they truly stand by their product and will help you with live stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Check nrspay.com for more information or call 833-289-2767. 40 years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruben Yeshua Popko. Rabbi Popko, this will be our last program before Rosh Hashanah. And let's talk a little bit about how you... And uh, in general, rabbis ready themselves for a sort of interesting Rosh Hashanah, a Rosh Hashanah that doesn't have to be a chauffeur on its first day. It's a remarkable testament to the rabbis uh, illustrating with this act of banning shofar on, uh, on, on Rosh Hashanah when it's Shabbos, that the normal and the regular takes precedence over the spectacular, that, uh, that Shabbos, not, and I shouldn't even say Shabbos, the fear of trespassing on Shabbos supersedes the you know the symbol of one of the most important days on the Jewish calendar. It's really not the symbol; it's the midst of this most important day, the most important days. It's a remarkable, and again, a window into rabbinic thinking about what really are our priorities. Is our priority show for Shabbos or the possibility of a Shabbos, which comes around you know pretty often? You're right, Rabbanan for the Takana. And, and, and you, we, we might want to tear our hair out understanding, you know, why one was was done, even though it, it, it results in the lack of feeling and the lack of emotion. Because I think the subtle point that you were sort of trying to make resonates, but doesn't resonate that strongly, especially for the shul goer who's waiting to come for the high holidays. No, no, I know it's it's a rem- I, it's remarkable that we get that we don't do it. Well, I'll tell you, listen, it's not the first year it's happened. I remember in some years past when it's happened, you know, obviously, I don't think it happens with kind of regularity. But I, I, I've used it as an opportunity to uh, address that. In other words, not the way I just did with you. In other words, I don't, I don't, I didn't necessarily make a whole thing about how it shows you, you know, how the regular is, takes priority over, over the, over, over the special. I use it as an opportunity to talk about all the voices during the year that we don't hear. And today we have a silent shofar, but, you know, there are a lot of silenced voices that we don't hear. You know, a kid in pain, uh, you know, uh, 
another Jew in, in, in difficulty, and to think about all the voices that are silenced that we don't necessarily pay enough attention to. I think the first day of Rosh Hashanah is an opportunity to talk about all the silenced voices. We have a silent shofar and talk about all the silenced voices in our lives, in our community, in our world. And, you know, you might also, again, I'm not suggesting, but you might also use it as a way to wonder why is it that we need that external uh, sound to be able to open us up to the wounds and issues that afflict us when we realize that the shofar is only a means to an end. And perhaps Shabbos, we are able to sort of get there even without it. You know, I, I think that you know, we, we, we love the ritual, but we understand that the ritual is supposed to take us somewhere. And a Shabbos, you know, it has something significant. Let's talk a little bit about what's happened in our lifetime. Uh, and that is a much greater competency in the Machser than there was when we were growing up. When we were growing up, you know, you had the Birnbaum Machser that was considered new. Remember <laughs> when the Birnbaum Machser came out, it was considered like, wow, this is going to be a great Machser. But most of the people who came to the shul were, were quite uh, unaware of the beauty and the sublime aspect of the Piyutim. And, you know, it was, you had the old European Jews who were used to davening and, and understood it, but the American or Canadian Jews who, who came once in a while, they were somewhat lost. I, I think with the, again, we talk about Art Scroll and, and other Mahsayram that have come out. The Art Scroll Master did it. Listen, the Art Scroll Master is comprehensive. The Koran Master has some beautiful stuff in it. You got to give the Koran guys credit. It's a beautiful Master. What, what I miss the most about the Birnbaum Master, and I still use one, I still have one with me. What I loved about it was the, 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 the last two pages where you had the graph of when Rosh Hashanah was falling the next 50 years. You know, I think both Arskol and Koran should put that in because it's certainly a wonderful thing to be able to look at when you're, you know. You know, I, I know that uh, for, for many rabbis, they were always able to point to various passages in the Mopser and perhaps bring them out uh, in a homiletic way. I, I suppose that doesn't happen as much. And I, I guess there's another phenomenon which you've spoken about, which is the fact that when you first started this position, there was perhaps one or two minyanim, and now you are talking about a plethora of, of five different minyanim in your shul. Right. You know, listen, it's a, it's a phenomenon that exists in other arenas of life where people uh, tend to hunker down with their own congressional districts that are real, you know, that are swing districts, are few in number in the U.S. Minyanim that used to be, or shuls that used to host minyanim that were diverse, uh, you'd have a black hat guys, you'd have scarf to guys, you'd have all kinds of Jews together. There's been a, uh, you know, a gradual separation <laughs> one from another where you have, where I have today, the people who I see on Shabbos, I don't see Rosh Hashanah and Kippur in front of me davening. They're in a different minion. The people who come three times a year are in the main sanctuary. A few stalwarts who come every Shabbos are still with them, but overwhelmingly the people who I see all the time. I don't see Russian and Kippur in the, in the main sanctuary. They're in separate minyanim. People like that no longer can tolerate the, you know, being with people unlike themselves who don't necessarily adhere to the, you know, what they think is the correct uh, decorum or whatever and aren't, aren't certainly don't daven the way they do. And uh, it's a problem. It's uh, But we've separated. That's what we've done. The shul is no longer 
a department store, it's a series of boutiques. That's what a shows are today. You know, obviously this uh, puts a, an interesting burden on you uh, to be able to minister to these five different uh, minyanim. All right, so over Russia and Kippur, I'll visit everybody. I'll speak mostly everywhere. And it's uh, it's certainly very different than how it used to be. But that's uh, that's a reality that very few can challenge. Listen, it's, it's every Shabbos. I mean, 40 years ago, you walked into an Orthodox shul in St. Louis, you were just as likely to be greeted by a Shabbos Shabbos as a non-Shabbos Shabbos. Right? Today, you go to an Orthodox shul anywhere in North America, you're only going to see other Shabbos Shabbos people. That's the reality. Our shows no longer host, you know, that kind of community diversity that was the norm 50 years ago. It doesn't exist anymore. You know, just practically, uh, you, obviously, you need to sort of like, almost like in a military style, you have to make sure that these minyanim are going to be operating at somewhat different speeds to allow you to insert yourself at each place, correct? Right. So, you know, so... uh I'll go to a, one minion and I'll tell the Chazan in my minion to go ahead and, you know, if I'm not back at the end of the Haftorah when I want to speak before the sounding of the shofar, you know, do a long bracha for Israel till I get back, you know? You know, we work it out. You know, it works. So far it's worked, I should say. I've never put, I don't think I've ever put anybody in position of having to wait for me. Do you find yourself saying the same basic Often I say the same thing and sometimes depending on what's going on and what I want to say to different kinds of people, uh, it'll be two different sermons. Rule of thumb used to be, and, and you know, and I know some people are cynical about this, but there are four big ones, right? You know, throughout Russian and Kippur, it means the stuff you do between Menchamir is more halachic or whatever, but like the sermons, right? The drushes, right? Just four big ones: the Judaism Roshana, Kol Nidre, and 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 Yisker, right? Your Kippur morning. So you know, the rule of thumb used to be: one is Israel, one is Holocaust, one is from Kite, and one is family. You know, you, I mean, those are the basic categories of life. Yeah, Yisker, you'll, you'll do Holocaust. Kol Nidre, you might do Israel. First day Rosh Hashanah, you'll talk family. They come, first come to Shul. That's what's uppermost in their mind. Banach, Ayah, Mezayna. And then second day Rosh Hashanah, you'll talk, you know, from kite stuff. And that's basically the division of topics. Now, the problem is you can't do that as easily anymore. Because while 30 years ago, Jews would say to each other, you know, we're so divided as a people, but there's three things we agree on. Holocaust, anti-Semitism in Israel. You can't say that anymore. Israel is, 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 is you know, this past year is, is sorely divided. It's hard to talk about it in an inspiring way other than a call for unity. You know, even uh, anti-Semitism, there are some people in our community who are fixated on the left, uh, some people fixated on the right. Uh, maybe most of the people, I think, are more sophisticated than that, but even that's not a unifying issue necessarily. And even... Uh, I mean, in our shows, the Holocaust is certainly still something, you know, around which obviously there's a, you know, a, a complete unanimity. But in the world, oh, you talk to a Jew who isn't from, and you ask him what does never again mean? He'll tell you it means never again genocide. You ask somebody in Orthodox show what never again means, it means never again are we going to be powerless and homeless. You know, it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. You ask somebody in Europe what never again means, they'll tell you it means no more war. So, you know, so to say that there are things we all agree on is harder today. It's a challenge today. But but I still think those basic themes, I mean, there are times when rabbis tell people things in a sermon they, they think they need to hear. There are sometimes we speak where we want to give voice to things they already believe, but to validate where they, you know, what, what they're thinking on a certain issue, right? To give voice to it in a compelling way. There are times when you want to inform. I mean, it depends what you want to do. Do you think that, you know, 
when when we were growing up, we had the Chazan, the Chazan who was sometimes brought in special or he was on staff all the time. And therefore, there was almost a, a sense that the flock was being led. Do you think now that the Chazanim and Balitfil are coming from the ranks of the Sibur itself gives them a greater sense of empowerment, that they feel more great, greater agency in terms of the davening and in terms of... Listen, a Chazan often turned a shul into a spectators. And that certainly is not tolerated anymore in Orthodox shuls. I mean, other than Manhattan, what Orthodox shul has a full-time Chazan anymore? It doesn't exist. Uh, the profession, you know, died. And we lose something with that. I'm not, you know, I, I'll, you know, although I will, you know, humorously, you know, talk about Chazanim with disdain and contempt, the fact is, you know, have, you know, they can be very helpful and good. There was something, there was something to be said about being brought to a sublime place. Oh, absolutely. By the gift of a voice that can... 100%. Sublime. It's not like it's an American phenomenon. I mean, European shows had Chazanim. It's not a, you know, it's not a new thing. There's no question that, you know, it kind of morphed into creating, you know, a spectator audience rather than a participatory audience. And our ballet feel are obviously more engaged in triggering participation. Don't you sometimes get turned off by, you know, I don't know if it was the latest popular song or whatever it was from. And then somehow, you know, everybody sings a little bit off key or on key. You know, it's it, it somehow you, you, you like hearing that participation. But it's almost like there's a certain type of tenor and speed that I, I think is counter to the spirit of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur as well. I mean, there are times that I look forward. I mean, when you open the Aaron and everyone's singing Hashem, Hashem, Kalachem, Machanan together, I still find that moving. Uh, let, let's shift a little bit to the idea that both of us you know, get greeted before Rosh Hashanah with Happy Jewish New Year, Rabbi, Happy Jewish New Year. When's, when's the Jewish New Year again? Often, especially when I was younger, I would say to, to the person who was asking me about it, the non-Jewish person who was asking me about it, that this is your day as well. We are, in a way, praying for the whole world. And, and I, of course, all our prayers indicate that, the tefillahs of, of God's mouthless in the world, the whole world recognizing God. It is true that we, we should feel a connectivity to the whole planet and the fact that we as Qual Yisrael are the stewards for that planet and bringing it to its, 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 its fruition. We have a tremendous emphasis, especially this summer, about how the planet is, has become hotter, the hottest summer on record, uh, how many days in Phoenix it was 112 or hotter. Do you think that it, it is proper to stir that note and say, Qual Yisrael, Jews, Montreal Jews, wherever you are, realize that we have a responsibility. Yes, we want to terraform this planet in God's image, but we also need to just have a basic understanding of, of, of what we, how we need to take care of this world. Listen, uh, listen, we're commanded right at the beginning, love till the summer to protect the world. And I believe in the Torah. God promised Noah the world is fine. Karvachayim, the world's going to keep going. God does expect us to, to be the to be kovesh the arts, redoable, kovshable, and to treat it like Noah. Has okay, been. but we all know that, listen, you've been terrorized my whole lifetime by dire predictions, none of which have come true about population explosion and Al Gore's movie. I, I, I'm a big believer in human innovation. I believe that the, the, many of the environmentalists have the agenda of wanting to dismantle or reconfigure 
an economic system which they've always held in contempt. They want to grab more more power for government to organize the economy and this and that. They're doing it. I think that uh, if you really care about the environment, you'd be putting up nuclear plants around the, around the country. You'd be uh, you'd be celebrating natural gas, which has you know contributed to a huge decrease in CO two emissions over the last 15, 10, 15 years in the U.S. And all of that's unacknowledged. And and I think it's an agenda. Listen. Whatever crisis the world comes up with, the boogeyman is always the same. It's, 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 it's right-wing people and corporations. No matter what the issue is, the problem, the bad guy remains remarkably constant. The left has never had a crisis where the boogeyman is a social worker. I mean, the boogeyman is always the same. It's corporations and pharmaceutical and this and that. In the religious sphere, this is, a, again, a, a, a very long-standing human habit to make dire predictions and to live in fear. And the, you know, people didn't you know the world's coming to an end, the sky is falling, the millennium is coming. And so, and so now there's no, now that we live in a secular world, they've transferred that bizarre, to me, psychological impulse into, this, into science. There's always been those voices who say the world is coming to an end. And guess what? We're still here. And the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to play football on Sunday against the 49ers. The world goes on. Eilin Kim and Hug Eilin. It's fine. Now, also, I would just say that maybe possibly, you know, I don't mind, you know, a little bit of environmental concern. You know, when you go into a firm store, the way you know you're in a firm grocery store is they have two huge aisles of nothing but disposables. Nobody uses more plastic than Orthodox Jews. It is breathtaking, the use of plastic. And uh, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the best thing, but uh, I'm sure it's not nearly as bad as the environmentalists say. But we wouldn't hurt if people started restarted washing their dishes a little bit. What I noticed is that even in the most traditional from households, it has become now standard not to take out necessarily the yumped of dishes, but to take out these very fancy plastic dishes. And, And I think, and I think a little bit has been. You know, some of the the shine has been taken off of of a yuntif meal. Oh, when, for sure. Let's open up. Let's open up this package that we got from Bingo that has like these fancy plastic. Oh, let's bring that right. out. They're they're in a rush to sit on the couch and read Mishpacha magazine. I, I don't know what it is. I mean, so so I think you know a lot of things you know have altered, and, and yet, you know we we try to find uh, the essence. Let's talk a little bit about, since this is, this is our Rosh Hashanah show, we talked about Shabbos and the second day of Yontif now perhaps getting more prominence because of Tzkiya Shofar. I remember uh, a distinct memory. I, I think you might have been in Eri Yisrael at the time as well. You remember Tashlich. Uh, we would walk as a as a community. Right. We would walk down from our, you know, uh, the Sylvan, ensconced area in Mount Wilson Lane, down that country road. Right. Which now is, I think, built up incredibly. But when we were there 50 years ago, it was very different. And we would go down to the um, to the little stream, and that is where we would stand as a as a as a seaboard or as a shul. But of course, when we when we did that, there was also the women who lived on Yeshiva Lane. I remember the Rosh Yeshiva, and, and this was one of the few times I ever saw him agitated. Like he couldn't believe that they had not organized in the yeshiva world 
that the men should go separately than the women. Here it was, men and women going together. How, how did, if, 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 and that was an anathema to the Musser attitude in Nary's role. That should happen. To me, it was actually interesting. I finally got to see that there's actually a community that's living. Uh, right. We never knew they existed. Yes. So what, what about in your community? Do you feel that this is an important thing that we all go to Tashlik together? Everybody goes to Tashlik. This is very nice. Yeah. It's not like you know, the top 10 most important religious activities of the year. It's Tashlik. Right. And we go do Tashlik. Yeah. Based on the Vilna Gones attitude and my own curmudgeon-like tendencies, I haven't gone for years. Right. Yeah, we go. We go. We say what we're supposed to say. You know, we throw bread into the water. We do exactly what my your grandparents' grandparents did, and all's right with the world. But do you find also that it's a sort of an antidote to some of the solemnity, and it sort of allows the community to to say hello to each other in a different. I think way. it's nice that Jews want to do a mitzvah. I don't see anything more than that. Well, come on, it's not really a mitzvah to do tashlach. Well, more. they think it's a mitzvah. They think they're doing the right thing, so it's a nice thing to see. Let's talk about the Simon just for a minute, and you know we'll end from at the beginning. A rabbinical friend of mine feels that that first and second night, especially according to the Sfardim, will do the uh, Simonim on the second night and have a complete a, a complete list of every single. Simonim. I do. I just at my house. I do three. I do. I do apples and honey. I do pomegranate and I do a fish head. That's it. But by the way, you know, part of our um, and the wonderfully consumer society that we have. We have one these packaged heads of a little sheep, and they are they are very delectable. You haven't they taste great. It's a very great. It's like Game of Thrones uh, eating heads of animals. The only reason why Ashkenazi Jews eat the fish head because they didn't have access to these animals. But there were no sheep in Vilna. Well, yeah, it was hard to get sheep, and a fish was much easier to obtain, cheaper and easier to obtain. But the little sheep head is really quite tasty. I would never eat a fish. It's like cannibalism. I want to be a Roche and not a Zanav. On that note, my friends, uh, we wish you all here from Emeritus Rex. <laughs> the happiest and sweetest New Year. We'll try to have one program during our series to make Shuva for you. Everybody should have a good year. All our enemies should die a miserable death. <laughs> As we say, you can't do so, Take care, everybody. From Emeritus Rex. We'll see you. During our series, make sure you be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Music.